Hey, Night Church. My name is Andy, and I am super stoked to be here to read God's Word for us before uh, Nath's sermon. Uh, We're going to be reading from Romans chapter 12, starting at verse 9. So I'll give you a second to find that in your Bibles or uh, on your smartphone, um, and then I will kick us off. Romans 12, verse 9. Love must be sincere. Hate what is evil. Cling to what is good. Be devoted to one another in love. Honour one another above yourselves. Never be lacking in zeal, but keep your spiritual fervour, serving the Lord. Be joyful in hope, patient in affliction, faithful in prayer. Share with the Lord's people who are in need. Practice hospitality. Bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse. Rejoice with those who rejoice and mourn with those who mourn. Live in harmony with one another. Do not be proud, but be willing to associate with people of low position. Do not be conceited. Do not repay anyone evil for evil. Be careful to do what is right in the eyes of everyone. If it is possible, as far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. There we go. And we're on. Yep. Take two. <laughs> G'day night church. Good to see you. My name's Nathan, if I haven't met you. Um, and it's good to be uh, here tonight looking at an important topic. Have the passage open in front of you. I'm going to pray and then we're going to get started. Heavenly Father, thank you for bringing us here together tonight. Pray that you would be with us as we open your word tonight. Amen. Amen. I love the fact that we're getting to talk about dating tonight. Um, It's usually one of those areas that gets squashed into the application of another sermon, but tonight we actually get to spend our whole time on it. Now, if you missed last week, I spoke on marriage, on how it includes more, on how it offers more, how it expresses more than modern culture often recognises. Check it out if you missed it. And then next week, Stu's actually going to be rounding out the series for us by exploring the goodness of singleness, which will be great. So we've got marriage on one side, singleness on the other, and then dating is kind of wedged in between the two, which actually, when you think about it, is kind of the whole point about dating, right? It's what dating's trying to accomplish, to bridge the gap between two states of life. Now, similar to last week, tonight's talk is for everyone, but it's going to be for everyone in different ways. So whether you're currently dating, whether you wish you were dating, or whether you have finished with dating, there's stuff in here for everyone. And we're going to get pretty practical, actually, just to give you a heads up on that. This is a kind of taking the gloves off, getting our hands dirty kind of talk. So I hope that by the end of our time tonight, that everyone's got some helpful next steps. Now, dating is a modern term, right? So you won't find it in the Bible, for instance. But for as long as marriage has existed, there's always been some kind of process involved in moving from being single to being married. So in biblical times, there was betrothal. Now, betrothal was basically kind of arranged marriages. Two families would come together. They'd make a a legally binding agreement. And then the couple would be betrothed. So not yet married, but they'll promise to be married. You might recall Mary and Joseph are an example of people who were betrothed. 
Now, there's also scouting. <laughs> I'm not sure if that's the uh, technical term, but it's kind of searching for a partner. So you've got like Isaac, who scouts for Rebecca in Genesis 24, or you've got Esther, who is scouted by the king uh, in order to become the queen of Persia. Then you've also got romance, which you probably have to put Ruth and Boaz in that category because, you know, there's flirting in a field. There's gift giving, some kind of romantic encounter on the threshing room floor involving feet. Now, all of that is to say, when it comes to the process of bridging that kind of gap between singleness and marriage, the Bible doesn't mandate one approach. There's not one way you have to do it, which means we've actually got some freedom when it comes to dating today. Freedom not to just do it however we want, but to apply godly wisdom into our current cultural context. And really, I mean, culture can't be underestimated when it comes to shaping the norms for courtship. Take Austria, back in the 1800s, for instance. Prospective partners would gather at community dances in order to meet. In preparation, the single ladies would wedge an apple slice under their armpit and at the end of the night, would award the slice of apple to the man who had most caught their attention. The apple of my eye. I wonder if that's where that came from. And if he approved, he had to chow down on the apple. Austrians, man. <laughs> Ugh. At least you'd be able to tell that they were keen, right? <laughs> that's one way to find out. Now, thankfully, we don't do the fruit thing anymore. It's not really a COVID-safe approach. But today... Here, in modern Western culture, the dominant form of dating tends to be what I call the try-before-you-buy approach. Basically, it goes like this. If you find someone that you're interested in, then start doing life together. And the longer that you date, the more enmeshed your lives end up becoming. So, you know, you end up spending more and more time alone together. You, you get more and more physically intimate. At some point, you end up sleeping together. Same thing happens emotionally. You become more and more open and vulnerable and dependent emotionally on each other. If it's getting serious, you'll end up, eating, um, you'll end up meeting one another's families. You'll start factoring uh, each other into your future planning. Maybe you go traveling or on holidays so you can get a feel for what it's like to live together. Then you actually do end up moving out, getting a place, some pot plants. Then you start pooling your finances. And then once you're far enough down the path, talk starts to turn to having kids, starting a family. And that's when the ring finally comes out and the wedding planning begins. Try before you buy. Sounds familiar? And with this approach... The gap between single and married is kind of bridged in this way, like this, right? It's kind of blended. That is the dominant approach in our cultural climate. And it's largely a reflection, I think, of the same philosophy that we talked about last week, if you recall, individualism, where the moral worth and freedom of you, the individual, is placed above all else. And it it totally pushes the try-before-you-buy approach, right? Because if my own happiness, my own meaning, my own personal fulfillment is paramount, 
then there's nothing worse than being stuck in a marriage with the wrong person, with, with someone who doesn't work well enough with me. You know, there's, there's nothing worse than that. And you think about it, right? We live in a 30-day money-back guarantee kind of world, right? <laughs> Where having the freedom to choose and the freedom to change always seems to trump commitment because commitment locks you in. Now, in this approach, the legally binding promises of a marriage are the last step in a relationship. Not to be made until you really know that this person is right for you. Now, the problem with approaching dating like this is that it's, it's very me-focused, right? Which really shouldn't be a surprise given that it's, it's really being driven by individualism, which puts the self above all else. And because of that, more often than not, I think this approach has the tendency to produce me marriages, if you remember when I spoke on that last week. Marriages that, that look inward and that are all about themselves. Now, the other problem with the try-before-you-buy dating approach is that it encourages couples to act as spouses long before they've made any real commitment to one another. So they're doing all this deep and profound marriage stuff without any of the protection and stability that marriage gives you. Now, when it comes to dating for Christians, we often find it tricky, right? We're trying to navigate the move from single to married in a culture that, that makes marriage the final step in becoming a spouse rather than the first. Now, what many of us end up doing most of the time is that we'll adopt this approach but it's the light version. We remove the sex and the moving in together because uh, we know that we need to save those things for marriage, but they're basically the only things we save. And so when Christians date, often it's intense, it's emotionally intimate, and we end up basically behaving like spouses who are desperately trying to keep their hands off each other. And we wonder why dating can be such a struggle. So rather than approaching dating like everyone else does, effectively living like you're married long before you actually are, I wonder if there's a better way of approaching things. Where dating moves you towards the goal of marriage without mixing together the two states of life. I don't have a catchy name for it, sorry. Maybe you can think up one and put it in the chat. But that's my thesis on the difficulty of modern dating and that's exactly why I'm glad we get a chance to spend tonight thinking more about it. And it's at this point that we turn our attention to God's Word, so make sure it's open in front of you, Romans chapter 12. You know, though you won't find the word dating anywhere in this passage, it sure has plenty to say when it comes to how we're called to relate to each other. And in Romans chapter 12, Paul is now kind of in like rubber hits the road mode. So he's dealt with the theology earlier in the letter and he now turns to apply it to their lives. This is the difference it should make. Okay? And, and this little section in particular is just jam-packed with instructions. I hope you noticed that uh, as Andy read it for us. But I, I counted at least 19 different commands in just 10 verses, which is some pro-level rapid-fire commanding from Paul going on right here. <laughs> now, for the rest of tonight's talk, I thought I'd change up my regular approach a little. Instead of three nice, neatly threaded together sermon points, 
going to take a leaf out of Paul's book and go a little rapid fire myself. Don't worry, it's not going to be 19 points. I'm going to draw on a few of the key things Paul says. I'm going to work in a few things of my own and then I'm going to finish by leaning on some wise advice from others. Point number one, be sincere. Be sincere. Paul begins his rapid fire instruction uh, with a call to authentic, genuine love for one another. Take a look at verse nine. Love must be sincere, he says. In the context of dating, I think that means we need to be honest and real with each other. Sometimes that can be hard, you know, if you're trying to, trying to gain someone's uh, attention or interest. I mean, how tempting can it be to pretend that you're something that you're not, to put on a mask and, and kind of hide who you really are? As tempting as it might be, don't do it. <laughs> Don't do it. I mean, deception, white lies, they're never a good foundation for a relationship. I was going to pick out a, an example from a rom-com to use, but I then realised that in like 85% of romantic comedies, the central conflict revolves around someone pretending to be someone that they're not. And it never works out, does it? Never works out. It's like the one thing Hollywood gets right when it comes to relationships. Don't pretend. So if our love for one another is going to be sincere, as Paul calls it to be here, then we actually all need to be shooting for being real and genuine with each other. And that goes for dating as well. Point number two, love and honour one another as family. Paul moves from sincerity to loving and honouring one another as family. Take a look there in verse 10. He says, be devoted to one another in love. The word he uses there for love is a word that's associated with the kind of tight bond and obligation of your biological family. You know, in the culture that Paul, uh, in the culture of Paul's day, family was everything. It was huge, and yet here he's calling for the church in Rome to love and honor one another as if they were family, which is pretty radical. You know, church is not a singles club. It's not a hobby group. It's God's family gathering together. I mean, we are brothers and sisters in the faith, bound by the blood of Jesus and bound for eternity in God's kingdom. Just have a think about that for a moment, how that shapes the way that we relate to one another. Before someone becomes a romantic interest, they are your brother or your sister. And then afterwards, if for some reason it doesn't end up working out, they are still your sister or your brother. Paul uses the word honour here as well in verse 10, which I think is interesting. Honour relates to the regard or to the respect that someone is held in. You know, if we care about one another's honour or reputation in our community, then it actually means we can't go around trashing someone behind their back after you've gone and broken up with each other. And that might be a temptation to do especially if the breakup was messy and you blame them or they hurt you. And, and there may be times when a serious wrong has occurred in the relationship and that actually needs to be called out and addressed in the right way. But, you know, in the, in the normal difficulties of dating, brothers and sisters in the faith will be more generous, they'll be more gracious, and they'll be more concerned about the other's honour even than they are about their own. 
Point number three, rejoice and mourn together. Third point I want to touch on from what Paul says in chapter 12 is there in verse 15. Take a look. Rejoice with those who rejoice. Mourn with those who mourn. You know, one of the implications of the fact that we are family is that we, we don't have to do it alone. The family does it together. Christian life is a team sport, right? We get to do it together. And that goes for dating as well. So this is where those of us who are a bit further down the track, whether we're married or single, there's actually a vital role for us to play. Those who are older, more experienced, actually need to be willing to walk right alongside our young people who are trying to navigate this tricky space. You know, to listen well, to speak wisely, to pray continually. I love the fact that James and Sky actually made mention of that offer at the end when they shared before. And you know, St. Matt's has got plenty more people just like them who would be willing to do that. One of the things I've learned is that those kinds of relationships don't usually just happen naturally and organically. It's great when they do, sometimes they do, but culturally we actually tend to often sit back and wait to be asked. So it usually won't just happen automatically. We've actually got to step out and be a bit more intentional, I reckon. If you're currently in a dating relationship, but you haven't got that older, wiser voice who's on the journey with you, can I challenge you to actually get onto that this week? Like quick? Because the truth is that we actually all need people who are willing to check in on us, ask how we're tracking, offer to pray for us. So maybe it's a growth group leader, maybe it's Belle, myself, one of the other many amazing people here at St. Matt's who would love to walk alongside you. Hopefully, one of the things they can help encourage you to do is point number four. Keep the remote handy. Now we move from Paul's advice in chapter 12 at this point uh, to something actually I I tell couples uh, as I'm counselling them on dating advice. I'll refer to the volume of the relationship by which I mean their relational intensity. And this really connects back to the initial problem that we face when we, we adopt that kind of try-before-you-buy approach, minus the sex. I mean, that's a really, really hard way to date because even though, even though they might not have been sleeping together, they're often still relating almost like spouses. And so the volume on their relational intensity is like set up at 11. But you know, a real mark of Christians dating well is the control they choose to have over their relational intensity. So they keep the remote handy. They talk about it. They work together on ways of managing it. And they include others to help them stick to it and think clearly about it. It's funny, right? When, when we talk about relational intensity, we're often, we often immediately think about like the physical side of that, and that's important, and we'll speak to it in a moment. But in all my experience, couples that, that struggle the most to control their physical intimacy are usually giving little or no thought about their intimacy in other areas. I think we actually need to look at it far more holistically. So, keeping the remote handy, I think, means a few things. I think it means we need to watch how much time alone you spend. Now, this is not Victorian England, right? I'm not saying you need to be accompanied at all times, but you also don't need to see each other every single day. It'll be okay. 
I mean, that's a recipe for relational intensity. And yes, like you, you totally need to be able to carry a conversation together alone. But all the time you spend together shouldn't only be alone. Like hang out with other people too. I think that also goes for going on holidays together as well. Don't do it alone and don't share a room. That's just dumb. Like <laughs> that's dumb. Keeping the remote handy also means watch the deep and meaningfuls. Watch the deep and meaningfuls. Now, again, you obviously need to speak about big things and get on to the deep topics eventually. That's an important part of working out if it's going to work out. But emotional intensity and emotional dependence is a thing. It's actually a powerful thing. And it will spam the volume up button if you don't keep a check on it. Don't allow yourselves to become each other's sole emotional support. I mean, I don't even think spouses should be doing that for one another. And it also goes for watching the way you speak. So, you know, the language that you use with each other. Because, you know, the, the words we use are powerful. They carry meaning and feeling and intention. So be careful with how you actually speak, especially about the future and about getting married. Because there's nothing that's going to ramp up the relational intensity quite like the Planning the wedding on the third date. Choose your, choose your words carefully. And lastly, watch the physical. Now, I feel like this always gets the most airplay when we talk about dating, so I'm not going to say too much on it. But anyone who's dated before recognizes just how hard this area is for a couple that's trying to honor God. So just one quick thing. No one ever said, oh, we waited too long to get physical. Like, no one ever said that. <laughs> You'll never regret going slow, okay? But it actually needs to be the intention from the very beginning because for most couples, this area is the hardest to get the volume back down on if it's gone up too high. Point number five, keep the point the point. Now, as I said at the beginning, dating helps to bridge the gap between two states of life, right? Moving us from one to the other. Now, it obviously doesn't always work out like that, but that is the point of dating. It's actually to help you determine whether this person is someone that you want to spend the rest of your life with. It's a big deal, actually. Dating is not just for fun or because it boosts my ego or because I just love the thrill of the chase, which just sounds really creepy. We date with purpose and intention, which means, you know doesn't mean we have to bring a briefcase to the first date. It doesn't have to be weird and, and serious. But we need to keep the point the point. There's a few implications of that, I think. Firstly, I think it means if you're not really ready to think about getting married in the next few years, then you're probably not really ready to date yet. So just work on developing good friendships. I think it also means if you get to a point in a relationship where you realize ah, you don't want to marry this person, it's not going to happen, you should stop dating them. I think it also means if you've been dating for a good while, so we're talking years, not months, and they haven't popped the question yet, or you know they're not ready to say yes, stop dating. I mean, I think there's a point at which it's like, you know, if you don't know by now, you're not going to know. Often, the reason why there's slowness is because of our obsession with finding the right person. 
And that's a problem because point number six is we always marry the wrong person. <laughs> that's a line I stole from Christian ethicist Stanley Halvas. <laughs> and it's, it's great because it's the antidote to that toxic thought pattern that we can sometimes get stuck in where we're thinking, you know, there must be someone better than all the people that are around me in the circles that I'm in. There's, there must be someone better. Now look, maybe, maybe you're right and your circles really are a dud. Maybe. But maybe, maybe it's more to do with your expectations. Here's how Harvast puts it. He says, the assumption that there is someone just right for us to marry and that if we look closely enough, we will find the right person, it fails to appreciate the fact that we always marry the wrong person. We never know whom we marry. We just think we do. Or even if we first marry the right person, just give it a while and he or she will change. Not very romantic, but he's not wrong. Because you see, everyone changes all the time. And it changes caused by all manner of tragedies and triumphs, you know, just by life. And you can't predict what life might throw at you. And I love that quote for the way it really just exposes the limitations of that try before you buy approach because there's no amount of trialing that will prepare you for a lifetime of change together. You're never going to be able to work out all the angles, in other words. And in fact, in some ways, actually, I think it actually sets you up to fail in a way, precisely because it's individualism that is underpinning that way of approaching dating relationships. And relationships that have been built on the assumption of personal happiness and fulfillment, well, they're going to be far less resilient to life in a broken world, right? Where happiness is often intermittent and fulfillment is often fleeting. So then the right person is not the one that completes you in every way, but the right person is the one who is willing to learn how to keep loving you whatever life throws your way. Now, that, of course, doesn't mean you just go out and consider marrying anyone, right? There, there is such a thing as compatibility and shared interests and a good fit. A clear one from Scripture, actually, is that Christians shouldn't marry unbelievers. There's a bunch of places in the Bible that make that clear, both implicitly and explicitly. And, you know, if we're keeping the point to point, that actually means we shouldn't be considering dating unbelievers either. I know there might be questions about that and what about this and what about that and I've seen this or whatever. Shoot them through to the text number and we can talk about it on the Q&A night. Point number seven. Become the person, the person you're looking for is looking for. Bit of a mouthful, but that's a line from another Stanley, actually. Andy Stanley this time. And I've never forgotten it from the moment that I heard it for the way it just directs our energy away from obsessing about who we're looking for and instead turns the focus on who we are becoming. I mean, what good is it to find the person with the right character if they take one look at you and go, oh, no, no thank you, you're not who I'm looking for. It's tragic, right? But it's the mistake we make when we, we don't spend enough time working on ourselves, on our own walk with God on developing the fruits of the Spirit in our lives. Joy, love, peace, patience, kindness, generosity, faithfulness, 
gentleness, self-control. How are you going with those? Before demanding them in others, demand them in yourself. Become the person, the person you're looking for, is looking for. And finally, perhaps most significantly, in all of this, but particularly in the difficulty and the struggle, it's important to remember that you are not defined by your past mistakes. I know that for some of us tonight, I'm going to have hit on stuff that's pretty close to the bone. You know, this is the kind of talk that's often followed up by frank conversation, perhaps with someone you may have wronged or with someone you're currently dating. Some relationships might actually need to end. But hopefully, new ones might start as well as we look to support and walk alongside one another like James and Sky were offering. The truth is, dating's hard. <laughs> Absolutely, it's hard. And sometimes we get it wrong. Sometimes we make bad decisions and we hurt each other. Just like in all kinds of relationships. And yet, while we can't deny the damage we may have caused by our unwise or ungodly decisions, we worship a God of infinite grace, don't we? Don't we? A God who sympathizes with our struggle against sin, a God who is willing to take us back no matter what it is we might have done. If you've been washed by the blood of Jesus, you are no longer defined by your past, but by God's grace. Take the sweetness of Paul's famous declaration a little earlier in his letter to the Romans where he says, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. No condemnation. If you are in Christ, then that is true of you now and always. There's a sweetness to those words, but there's also a sharpness because you see God frees us not to go on living however we want, but to live as he calls us to live. He takes the guilt and the shame that we might be carrying and he replaces it with love, with thankfulness, and with a renewed commitment to obedience. So there we go. Call them Nate's eight to date. <laughs> with some help from Paul and two stands. Be sincere, love and honour as family, rejoice and mourn together, keep the remote handy, keep the point to point, we always marry the wrong person, become the person the person you're looking for is looking for, and you are not defined by your past mistakes.